I was uh, just about to lose it singing that last line two times. Could have just done it once. It's hard for me to stand today. I'm so tired. So I pray that I can get through this message with hope and bring you guys hope too. Let's pray first. God, be solid rock today. Floods are rising and the storms are coming down. It feels like all is being washed away. It's hard to know what's going to come in the next hour. So many responsibilities as a pastor, as a husband, as a father. And now I feel like I'm failing at every single one of them. I'm thankful to be with your people today. Where your spirit is present as we gather. And as your word is proclaimed and sung, I pray, God, that you would bring hope and healing and joy. God, this is not the way we thought Redemption City Church would start out 2018. But we trust that you are in control, that you have commanded our destiny from life's first cry to final breath until we, till Jesus returns or calls us home. We will stand on him. Be powerful right now. To bring hope and joy to, to Redemption City Church. For the glory of our great Father and His Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So, I think many of you would remember at the beginning of December how I had explained I've never really enjoyed Christmas before in my life. It's always been hectic and difficult and challenging and depressing to me. And I was determined that this time it would be different. This time we were going to anticipate Christ's coming and we were going to worship and it would be a joyful unification for our church. And it would lead us into the new year ready for powerful ministry and ready for delightful service together. And then Christmas Eve came, and two hours before Jake was supposed to preach, he called and said, I can't get out of bed. I'm going to need you to preach for me. So I had to come up with a sermon within the next hour I wasn't planning on. But Jake turned out to be all right. It was a, just a one morning thing, and he was healed, thank God, very quickly, and then we come to find out that Molly's Crohn's disease, my wife has Crohn's disease, and it was flaring up again, and she has severe cramping, can't eat food, and she, for weeks, hardly ate anything, and has lost a lot of weight, and lays in bed in pain. We spent two nights in the ER, five days in the hospital, crying out to God, when are you going to end this? This is not how we wanted to start the year. And many of you have told me of 
challenges suddenly coming up in your own life, cars inexplicably falling apart. My kids are with my sister in Mankato right now, and while they're there, my car in a crash destroyed. So now I need a new car if any of you have a van that's available. And then last night, we get a call from Jake and Rachel that their youngest son, Ellis, who's only a year old, had 105 temperature and suddenly started having a seizure and had to be rushed to the ER. And I thought, no, God. They've already lost one. Don't do it again. I'm just so tired. And God keeps seeming to ignore our prayers. But he healed Ellis. Ellis is good. He's at home resting with his mama. My kids are still alive. The insurance company is going to get us a new car. Or another old beat up car anyway. My wife is still at home in a lot of pain. And I feel guilty even being here. But I need you. I need your prayers. I've been crying out to God. Please heal my wife. You have the power. You've done it in the past. You say you love us. You've shown your love for us. So what's the holdup? Questions crying out to God. When are you going to work? And yet every morning I wake up and she's still in pain. She cries all night long, unable to sleep. We're still weak and frail and seeming to have to fight for hope every day. Jake asked if he wanted me, or if I wanted him to preach for the next few weeks just so I could recover. I said, well, let me take a look at the text for this week and see if I could do it. And it was just three verses, so I thought, I can do this. Three verses. And as I read through them, I suddenly got a lot of hope again. I thought, everything's going to be all right. God sent me into a wrestle with him, pulled me in close, said, let's look at my word together. And then he left me with a limp so far. I pray that as we look through this text together, that we will together find hope in healing to come. Maybe not today, maybe not immediately, but there is hope. So let's look together at Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. These verses that have been a source of hopeful prayer and pain in my side and ultimately the grounds for our future redemption. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and even from beyond the Jordan. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I haven't been certain that these have been the best words for my heart at this time. But it's been God's providence, as we've seen multiple times over the last year of our existence as Redemption City Church. We've seen God's providence in timing his, these sermon texts just when we need them. So I was determined to go here and find out what God had to say to me and to us. And as I first read these texts, I was so excited. Thank God you brought us hope. You're going to bring healing. We've been praying for healing, and I read this text for Sunday, and you've given me confidence that you're going to heal Molly and draw people to yourself, God, through this. That the doctors are going to say, oh, this is really bad. We need to do surgery and walk out the door and come back in and say, wow, what happened? Just this miraculous healing, and we could say, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Come to Jesus, the one who heals us. But that didn't happen, so I became quite angry and frustrated with God. Why did you do it then? Great crowds from all over the region bringing people to be healed. And he's just laid his hands on them. You're healed, and you're healed, and you're healed. Handing it out like candy on Halloween. And yet today, he won't give my wife healing. So what's the difference? Why did he do it then and he won't do it now? God seems to be responding to my pleas for mercy with silence, like I'm speaking into an empty room. And it took wrestling with God through this text to find maybe some peace that the healing I've been praying for isn't wrong, it's just not enough healing. I haven't been asking for the greatest healing. So let's search God's word together and find out what the answer is to my questions. I split up this text just into two parts, verses 23 and 24, show the content of Jesus' ministry, what he did in his ministry, and then verse 25 shows the response to Jesus' ministry. So we'll look at what Jesus did and then find out how people responded to that immediately and in the long term as his ministry progressed. And together these points highlight that the plan of God in Christ to bring healing to the world in a way that we're not really expecting. So the main point is that redemption is coming soon in a way that we won't really fully understand until the day he returns. So before we jump into the text, let me quickly summarize where we've been. We try to do this every week. The uh, Jesus Matthew begins his gospel introducing Jesus as this powerful new Savior, this Messiah come on the scene. He's the new Israel, a new creation, a new Son of God who will be faithful like no one else could ever do. And then they, this great time of testing and temptation comes, and he remained faithful like nobody else did against the attacks of Satan. And then he begins his ministry right after that proclaiming to the world, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Follow me, repent of your sin, and turn to me and trust in me. This is the core of Jesus' message that he's taking everywhere. As we saw in our Sunday school class, in our Bible study, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That is what he is all about. And so he get, went all over 
the world preaching these things all over the region there. And he began to gather faithful subjects into his kingdom, calling the disciples, follow me. And together we are going to turn this world upside down. And now the text for today is kind of a transition period from how he started preaching and gathered just a few fishermen on a beach to the next three chapters in the gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, where Jesus is proclaiming the glories of God and his law and all that Christ has come to do for his people with a mountainside filled with great crowds, thousands of people following him. How did he get from a few fishermen to this mountainside filled with people? That's what this text shows us. Let's read that again, the first two chapters. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So Jesus went throughout all Galilee, this text says, doing three things. First teaching in their synagogues and then preaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every affliction. These three things were the backbone of his ministry. He would go all over the place, hit every region of northern Israel and the surrounding territories, showing off his power and authority, and it had quite the effect. First, it says he taught in the synagogues. He would go into every town where there was a synagogue and sit down with them and teach from their scriptures how they all pointed to him, how the hope was finally there. A synagogue, the synagogue kind of, you don't read about that in your Bibles. It arose out of the time of the Old Testament after the neighboring nations came and destroyed the temple. They no longer had a place to come and worship and gather and offer sacrifices. So they came up with this new idea where if you, you can gather together in your own villages and you come to these synagogues. Synagogue literally means to gather together. And they would come here assembled, finding hope that God would end this oppression that they were living. They could go to the text and teach one another and encourage one another. These are God's promises. He is going to remove our suffering someday. And then Jesus' first step in his ministry is to show up into these conversations and say, it's here. The end of your suffering is finally here. Here I am. And we see that in Luke chapter 4 where he stands in a synagogue and he reads Isaiah 61 to them. And tells them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What did Isaiah 61 say? Jesus read to them, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to preach the gospel. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops there. He was sent to proclaim all of this good news all over the world. These words that Matthew uses in chapter 4 are similar, bring the same ideas from Isaiah 61 back. He's trying to let us know that the Messiah is here, the one who's going to proclaim this good news and heal the sick and bring peace and end the oppression. He is here. And because he's here, he now goes out and proclaims the gospel. He does what he was 
anointed and sent to do. He goes out with power and authority saying, repent and follow me. I'm the king you've been waiting for. Jump on board. Let's go. Let's turn this world upside down. He doesn't just sit down and have a nice dialogue over coffee with people. He commands as a conquering king that people get in line. But anyone can do this. Anyone can walk around and say, I'm the king. You better follow me or I'm going to I'm going to destroy you. How does a weak man from Galilee, from no the middle of nowhere, how does he think he has the authority to walk around and demand people follow him? But Jesus does miracles, not simply to heal people because he has compassion on them, not simply to help people get a leg up in this world, but to prove that he has authority to command people to repent and follow him. Recall the story later on in Matthew chapter 9 where these four guys carry their friend who's paralyzed on a mat and they carry him forward and lay him down before Jesus and say, Jesus, we know you have the power and the authority to heal our friend. Would you do that for us? Would you heal him? And he rewards their faith. He says, look at this faith, this amazing faith, trusting in me. I will reward you by forgiving your sins. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. What? I asked you to heal me and you forgive my sins. Seems like you're ignoring my prayers here, Jesus. And all the religious rulers are really upset with him and say, you can't do that. You can't be wandering around this countryside telling people to repent and follow you. And when they come to you, say your sins are forgiven. That is God's authority. God is the king. You are not. People should repent to God, not you. And Jesus says, you're right. Any fool can walk around, any lunatic can walk around and say, follow me. Repent, your sins are forgiven. It's an invisible reality that nobody knows is true. But in order to bring that invisible reality into life, let me show you something. And he says to the man laying on the ground, rise, take up your mat and go home. And he does, he stands up paralyzed. His legs wouldn't work ever before. He had to be carried around and now he just stands up like he's never had a problem in his life and walks home. He did that in order to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins. And he heals all of these people, these great crowds of people from all over the world to show that he has the authority to command repentance and faith. And so we see that healing is simply a means for Jesus to a greater end at this time. It provides him the opportunity to preach his message of forgiveness, of salvation to great crowds that one day it will result in an even greater healing. But currently, at this time, it just gives him time to gather great crowds. And we see that happen in verse 25. His healings did what he wanted them to do. Verse 25 says, And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Because of this powerful ministry of healing and proclaiming the gospel and repentance, People came from all over Israel, even the nations beyond the borders of Israel. Isaiah had 
predicted that all nations would come to him and that he would bring healing to the nations. And here we see that people came from north of Israel and south of Israel and to the east of Israel to see what powerful, miraculous thing he would do next. Just as the prophets foretold, here is the Messiah doing just what they expected. People coming from all over the world to be healed. So when people read Isaiah 61, they anticipated as soon as this guy shows up, this is going to be the end of the world, the end of all suffering as we know it. Finally, a return to the kingdom where all things are made, or to the garden where all things are made new. Peace and joy and happiness and no more death and pain and suffering. Finally, it was going to come. The Messiah was going to come and wipe out all the foreign oppression, kick those Romans out of our country. They saw him come and they said, yes, we are on board with this. But when Jesus stood in Luke 4 in the synagogue and taught on Isaiah 61, he didn't read the whole thing. He only read verses 1 and part of verse 2. He stopped short of the judgment in Isaiah 61 and the ultimate healing that comes after that. The passage continues after Jesus finished reading. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Describe my life right now. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The Jews expected when the Messiah came, he would bring judgment on the enemies, and then he would bring peace and healing and joy, and he would restore the life of the garden on earth again. Yet Jesus' plan was a little bit different than what anyone expected. He would come and proclaim this good news, yet it would still require a lot more suffering in order to finally accomplish the rest that we all so desperately want. And as soon as Jesus, people realized this, that he commanded more suffering, that he predicted more persecution, the great crowds that followed him diminished. In John chapter 6, after Jesus starts teaching difficult things, John writes, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. These great crowds quickly dwindled when Jesus started commanding how difficult it would be to follow him. And he asked his closest disciples, are you going to go too? And Peter says, oh no, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And yet we see Jesus or Peter deny him three times. When Jesus is arrested in the garden, all of his disciples scatter. The great crowds that followed after him looking for power gather together before Pontius Pilate and yell, crucify him. Those temporary healings didn't do, couldn't do, bring lasting healing. They couldn't change people's hearts. Jesus was the only one remaining who could be righteous and stay faithful. He was the only one who would stay on the narrow path and he did, no matter what came his way, what persecution and suffering, he walked right down the path of faithfulness, leading to death, to pay for all of our despair. 
on the cross to pay for all of our waywardness, all of our wanderings, all of our rejection. And his rejection on the cross by the Father is far worse than anything we will ever have to endure if we are in him. But he didn't stay there. He didn't stay dead in the grave. He rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that is the ground of our hope. We can't put our hope in He healed everybody because all of those healings were temporary. Every single one of those people died and are in a grave today. The resurrection gives us hope that no healing in this life will ever be as good as the healing that's going to come on that day. One day He's going to end all this suffering. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. As Jake preached a couple weeks ago, the point of all this suffering is to make us long for Him all the more to come back. How many times have I cried out in the last couple of weeks, come Jesus, come now, come quickly, please. I know we just started this church, but I'd be glad to throw it all away if you would come back now. These sufferings are not meaningless. They're designed to take away from us all that distracts us and takes our eyes off of Christ. To take away every longing for satisfaction in this world and hope for greater satisfaction in the world to come. So I have two points to leave you with. First is a question, and second is a plea for us as a church. First I ask you today, why are you following Jesus? This is a question I wrestled with all the time in the last few weeks. Why am I following Jesus? Am I doing it just so I can get healing? Is that the only thing? Are my prayers filled with, do this for me, God, do this for me, heal me, fix my broken relationships, fix my broken body, fix my broken affections? Do you think your life is going to get easier if you follow Jesus? He said no. In many ways, it's going to get harder. He promised us persecution. And that's what these great crowds realized. That persecution would be greater. That suffering might be greater. When the path becomes narrow, will you fall away? As I can barely stand this morning, my biggest prayer now becomes, don't let me fall away from you, God. Keep me faithful. Surround me with your people. I feel like a hypocrite standing up before you saying, when suffering comes, remain faithful because I have not. He doesn't promise healing for us. And when he doesn't give us healing, will we turn and curse him and be frustrated with him? Or will we trust that he is preparing us for a greater weight of glory in the healing to come. He's going, he might call for many of you to remain in your suffering for a long time until He comes or calls us home. You can ask Him for healing and He might give it to you so that you can be strengthened only to proclaim the gospel more, so you may be emboldened to preach Christ more. But if He doesn't, keep your eyes on Christ 
Keep your eyes on the long-term goal of ultimate healing in the resurrection. And until then, help one another. Pray passionately for wisdom and for joy through the suffering, for His presence to be near. Where else can we go? Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. When suffering comes to our church family, as God promises it will, in order to make us more holy and to unify us, let's stick together and grow together through it. Don't let people isolate themselves. Even though Molly is home sick, laying curled up alone, send her encouragements. If you know somebody who's suffering, whether it's infertility or marriage problems or busted up cars or furnaces that are going out, encourage one another, help one another. Some people today argue over whether serving people's needs in ministry and taking care of the poor and the sick is a legitimate part of evangelism or is the main purpose of the church simply to speak the gospel, to bring ultimate spiritual healing to the world. But Jesus didn't seem to really divide things so cleanly. When he did his ministry, he proclaimed healing. He healed people. He addressed their physical needs in order to prove this spiritual reality. The two go hand in hand. Taking care of a person's physical needs gives weight to our spiritual message. How will they believe in this invisible spiritual reality of forgiveness and healing in Christ if we let them languish in suffering? It's like what James wrote in his letter. It says, if you see someone cold and hungry, don't just say, I'm praying for you. Hope you find some warmth and some food and then walk away. That is not faith that is active. That's not the love of Christ alive in us. And I pray that we would be a church that faces suffering head on, glad for the opportunity to love one another and show, give tangible evidence of what the healing to come might look like. May God use Redemption City Church to bring this hope of eternal healing in Christ to all people who, in our lives who are suffering. Caring for the weak and the poor gives us authority in someone's life to bring them a spiritual message. Relieving someone's suffering gives them just a taste, a little flavor of what that ultimate healing may be like. So let us be people who suffer well, longing for greater healing, praying desperately for Jesus to come back right now and end of our suffering forever. And if he delays any longer, let us learn from our own suffering so that we can go into other people's darkness, the people all around us, and lift their eyes to Christ, hoping in the resurrection to come when we will finally get that rest and healing we long for. Let's pray together. God, even though we do long for that healing to come, that Jesus would call us home or return now, we do still pray for healing. You answered our prayers last night for little Ellis. You answered our prayers for Jake when he couldn't get out of bed that morning and he's strong again. You've answered our prayers for those who've been unable to have children 
that they would get pregnant. You do answer prayers, God. Help me remember that. And so we ask again that you would bring healing. You would bring healing for Molly, that she would be able to join in worship with her brothers and sisters again. But if you decide to tarry any longer, answering that prayer, would you strengthen us to keep our eyes on Christ? That we could still worship you in the midst of it. That we could still call people to repent and trust in him in the midst of it. That we would not shame your name. Do it, God, for your glory. That your name may may become more famous in our hearts. That your name may become more glorious in our church. That your name may be proclaimed more boldly from Rochester in our own neighborhoods and around the world. Do that for us, God, that we would find our greatest joy in your glory. Amen.